All right, this morning I want to teach on the subject of prayer warfare. And it is the nature of the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. But really and truly it should be termed a prayer warfare. The reason is all forms of genuine warfare have to go through the throne of grace. In other words, the Bible says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. So they are not done from us just out there. The weapons there are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations. Uh, the book of Ephesians and chapter 6 Verse 12 tells us about the nature of this warfare. It says that, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So it talks about a warfare right here, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. And then in verse 18, now goes to tell us that praying always, you know, it says put on the whole armor of God because we are wrestling. But then it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, it says, for all the saints. So you put on the armor, go into the place of prayer, and it's by prayers and supplications. So what happens here is, you make your request known unto God, and the warfare is based on this. It's a prayer warfare. It's something that you are praying unto God, and God himself is acting out on your behalf to fulfill his will and promises. Now, there is a theological debate on this subject of spiritual warfare. And in this theological debate here, uh, some people are of the strong opinion, and that's why Kenneth Hagin wrote the book, The Triumphant Church. They are of the strong opinion, and I agree with these, that some people teach spiritual warfare and practice spiritual warfare without taking into cognizance there or appreciating the fact that Jesus Christ has now shed his blood for humanity. In other words, they go way beyond what the Bible teaches on this subject. Now, so I want to look at what the scriptures say on this subject of how to fight, all right, in this warfare here. Who is doing the fighting? What is your own responsibility? Uh, how are your angels activated? To so look at these things. And it doesn't take into consideration how you feel about what you are going through. In other words, as I said in the last two services, how you feel has nothing to do with what is inside the written word of God. Uh, like somebody came once and said, 
I mean, so are you telling me that people will do this and they will just go scotch-free? It has nothing to do with how you feel about it. The Word of God is the Word of God, and Scripture is Scripture. So what we do is find what the Word of God says about something. It has nothing with our opinion. It has nothing to do with what you had learned previously. It has only to do with what the Scripture says on that particular subject. And these people that say things in opposition to spiritual warfare say that some of the practices of people were ideas that were actually introduced from the practice in the world of occultism. And that people have gradually allowed that to slip into the consciousness of the church. I said this last service that growing up as a Christian, one thing, one of our spiritual leaders who was like the mentor of the fellowship, uh, really instilled into us. Because at that particular point in time, a lot of, you know, dramatic confessions of people who are deep into occultism, who now, you know, gave their lives and, and accepted Jesus as their savior. And so they'll go and testify as to things they used to do in the world of occultism, how they used to attack Christians, and how they used to do things, and some of the practices that they did then. And based on this, some of them born again two months, they've not even read their Bible properly, will now begin to, quote-unquote, open the eyes of Christians in those sessions to how the spirit realm really functions, and so how they should be praying. And I remember I used to warn us severely not to get ourselves involved in that, that because you are dealing with the kingdom of darkness, you are dealing with Satan, who is a father of light, you are, you are dealing with deception, so that somebody comes out and says something doesn't mean that person wasn't deceived, all right, in the practice of those things. And so that every single thought on warfare, every thought on the realm of the spirit, shall be scripturally based, shall be what came directly out of the word of God, and that you can show these things inside the Bible. So certain ideas were borrowed and practices that were embedded in occultism. And what people used to do in occultism there is that, let's say somebody offended somebody, they would gather themselves together and begin to make pronouncements over the life of the person. And that's curses that you are sending into that person's life with the intent there to shape events in the life of that person or to bring bodily harm or damage to the family of that person or to do things there that will satisfy you that you have inflicted some form of pain in the life of somebody else. Now, that has to do with darkness. That has no root in the scriptures. Now, if we look at what the Word of God says, it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's the first thing it says. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there's a reason why it says that. Because principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, uh, the spirit, wicked host in high places, inhabit people or influence people or, you know, oppress people, 
and cause them to act and do certain things. And so what he's saying here is, you must always remember, you are dealing, even though a person does something or may do something to you, you're actually dealing with the spirit behind that person and you are not dealing in warfare with that individual. Jesus exemplified this on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. In other words, they are not aware. They are being influenced to do something. And we are dealing with the spirit that is behind inspiring that and not the human beings that are involved. Now, because if you miss it when it comes to distinct, um, doing that um, properly defining, the human beings and creating that distinction, that's the word now, between the human beings and the spirit, you have lost the battle in warfare, and I'll show this. Right? There has to be that clear distinction there that you are dealing here with spirits here and not with human beings. And because of the shed blood of Jesus, the victory has been given to the church. And so Satan knows that, I mean, it's just how natural armies fight. When you know you're fighting an army that is more formidable than you, that has more weapons, is more technologically advanced than you, then your only chances at winning, all right, you can't confront them with tanks because they have more sophisticated tanks. You can't go with Air Force, they will take you out. All right, you can't do all of that. So you resort to uh, guerrilla tactics or what you would call terrorism. And that's where terrorism came out of. In other words, you must fight in unconventional ways. Because if you fight in the legal framework there, you are going to lose because of what Jesus has done. So Satan is fighting on conventional ways. And so one of the tactics in guerrilla warfare is, naturally speaking now, you go into highly or densely populated areas and you will hide all of your stuff within houses. So there's really no defined place of barracks and all of that. You will hide in the midst of the people and you begin to shoot as a sniper or do things in the midst of the people. Knowing that if people now use their own weapons, all right, there will be collateral damage. Children will die. Women will die. All right, all kinds of people will die. And they know that then that PR war there, that army is going to lose the PR war. And so they will have victory, all right, which is that form of victory is much better than, for them than even winning physically there because then they're winning the war of the mind. So this is what Satan also does. He gets into people. He influences people, all right? He can influence. That's why he says a man's enemies are those of his house. He goes for people close, all right, and tries to influence. And now say, listen, so what are you going to do about this? And bait you into going after flesh and blood instead of going after the spirit there because people might not be skillful in this. Now, so the first thing we've got to understand is in this warfare, we're praying in God's will. We are praying in God's promises into our lives. And as we focus on our objective, what our goals and vision really is, and walk in love towards all men. Now, why is the walk of love so important? And when you get to occultism, love is removed completely. 
It's about establishing my own interest and what I want on the earth. Now, if you look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, we'll say this here. It says that, I heard a loud voice, all right, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, who accused them day and night before God. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony or their personal testimony about the blood of the Lamb. Now remember that because we end with that. But the other element that is left unexplained in warfare is that they love not their lives unto death. And the reason why people don't teach this, and it's a foundational to success in warfare, is that they think that they love not their lives unto dying physically. That's not what the scripture is saying there. It's talking about the fact that they love not their lives unto death. In other words, Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. So he's talking about laying down your life. He's talking about dying to self. Is what Paul called in 2 Corinthians, which we that live are always delivered unto death, that the life of Jesus Christ may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. If you can put the scripture up. We that live are always and he said, I die daily, which means always, he didn't say sometimes, always delivered up unto death. So it's about dying to self. It's about being instructed by God, all right, in, and this um, dying to self here are uh, acts of love, uh, where God acts, uh, asks you, all right, to do certain things. In other words, somebody might do something and you are angry. And, and you want to go and, and, and give the person a piece of your mind. But the Holy Spirit says, be slow to speak. And the Holy Spirit says, be slow to wrath. It says, be quick to hear. And, and that's not how you want to handle the situation. That, that's not the way you want to relate to that person. All right? And that's why people will say that, listen, I'm just a Christian now. If you, if you really knew who I was, and I show you who I really am, that person they are talking to about is the old man who is Adam, and that person was nailed to the cross. So it's about an exchange, which means the negative in me dies, that the positive on the inside of me might come forth. Death to one thing, life to another thing. Death to hatred, life all right, to love. Death to unforgiveness, life too. And so something dies so that something else can appear in your mortal flesh. And it's in the areas of love that this is most exemplified, right? Where Jesus says clearly to us. Now, the spirit might have influenced somebody and that person has developed animosity towards you. And let's say you have a boss in the office, let's assume, all right? And the boss insists that you cannot get promoted unless you sleep with me. And that boss insists that now, a spirit has come upon that particular individual to influence the person to act and to behave in a certain way. Now, how do you respond to the person? And then how do you deal now with the spirit that is upon that particular person? 
So how are you going to respond to that particular individual? If we look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. So he gives the express commandments there. It says, love your enemies. It says, bless them that curse you. It says, pray for them. But I say unto you, or Matthew 5, 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. It says, bless them that curse you. Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. So Jesus instructs, bless, love your enemies. These are the words of Jesus. You can't compare what a preacher is saying to what Jesus said expressly. I don't care who the preacher is. These are the express statements of Jesus. And you see that Paul said this also. And Peter also said this because it's foundational to our Christian experience. So he says, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them, he says, that curse you. In fact, Peter said, bless, he repeated and said, bless and curse not. All right? And then he talks about the fact that pray for them that despitefully use you and then they persecute you again after they have used you. He says, pray for those people, right? Which means there must be no animosity inside your heart towards them. Now, once you develop animosity towards people, you've lost the battle. I'll show this. You have lost the battle. You can be talking the blood, but you've lost the battle. How do we know you've lost the battle? Because you're walking in unforgiveness. And once you're walking in unforgiveness, the blood can't walk again. For, for Jesus himself said, a man was forgiven and let go. And then he found another servant and held him by the throat and put him up. And he says, he removed the blood covering. And, and Jesus said, then tormentors can come in and tormentors can now begin to invade the life of that person. So if you're going to operate with the blood, then you have to operate in the love, all right, of Jesus Christ. In other words, you are walking in forgiveness. In other words, you are walking in the love of God and you are laying down your life for your brethren there. So he says this, and it's important this is obeyed. Now we look at it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 17 about this love work here. It says, recompense to no man Evil for evil. So it says, recompense to no man. Evil for evil. Provide things that are honest in the sight of God. Then verse 18. If it be possible as much as it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, it now goes on. Dearly beloved, Avenge not yourselves. And this is why it says you love not your life unto death. Because you want to avenge yourself. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, said the Lord. Now you can say, well, God is going to repay. God will help me repay. All right, the people, so I'll pray for that. Well, that repaying there, you can underline that, I'll show you. What God is saying is, I'm going to pay you. I will repay you. Whatever has been taken, I will repay you. It's like somebody saying to you that, well, somebody took my car and ran away with my car. 
and then some wealthy person comes to you and says, let it go. All right, I will handle this business. Just let it go. If you let it go, I will repay. I will give you another car that is far better than that car to settle it inside your heart. Is it an issue of the car? He says, yes. All right, here is another car. The same way that person took that car, all right, I also, as a free gift now, I have given you this car, right? So you also release that also as a free gift to that person and receive what is coming out of my own hand. You say, well, I will show you from the scriptures, all right? Exact scriptures there where Paul was quoting from that that's what he says. So let's go on again. So God says, I will repay. So God is going to pay you back. And then he says, if thine enemy be hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Now we need to also explain what that means. God says, well, what, Jesus, what Paul is saying there is pepper them. That, you know, you do this and their coals are burning on their head. And they can't sleep and they're having fire coals are burning. And that's not what he's talking about. Verse 21, it goes on. Be not overcome of evil. In other words, you are in a warfare here. Uh, people are being influenced. Don't be overcome with evil. To show it's a battle, but overcome evil with good. In other words, overcome that evil by doing good. You overcome that situation that is, what will happen at the end of the day is, what the enemy meant for evil turned out for your good because you overcame that evil with your own goodness, acts of kindness. You overcame it uh, by your prayers for that person. You overcame that particular thing. You overcame evil with good. So it is an essential part of warfare. How you treat the people that are, let's say, being used by the enemy against you, how you treat them, right, is very strategic in winning this particular battle. Before we even get into the place of prayer, because if you get in animosity inside your heart, that's why it says when you stand praying, forgive. Or else every other thing is gone. You say, well, I'm going to exercise faith and declare things. It says that even if you have faith to move mountains, and you can speak to mountains, but you have not love and there's unforgiveness, it's nothing. It will come to nothing. All right? You may, you may, you may destroy one person, but, but the, the same spirit goes on another person. So you'll just be chasing shadows. So it's about dealing with that. And someone says, well, you don't know what somebody did to me. And you, what people did to you can't come close to what they did to Jesus. Jesus looked into the crowd when he said, Father, forgive them. And he saw people, he healed their children saying, crucify me, crucify him. He saw people, he raised their folks from the dead saying, crucify him. He saw people who, who were crippled, who he raised up, and all of that said, crucify him. And Jesus looked and said, Father, just forgive them. All right? And Satan was trying to get him into hatred. And trying to build animosity because the Bible says, once you hate your brother, it says you have stepped into darkness. So what Satan was trying to do wasn't to destroy his body, but to destroy his spirit. To poison his spirit. To get him into a place of darkness. Where now? So Satan wasn't comfortable. He knew even when Jesus was buried that we never really got Jesus. That he stayed in the regions of light. And all these things he has been saying about himself are going to come to pass, put a stone here, because he had this feeling that Jesus was going to get up. 
So what's it about repay, and what's this about um, um, calls of fire? Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22. It says, this is where Paul got it from. If thine enemy be hungry, now note what Paul said. It says, give him bread to eat. Sorry, what Proverbs says here. But if he's be thirsty, give him water to drink. Now look at the next verse. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. And it says, and the Lord will do what? Reward thee. In other words, God will repay you. God will reward you. And what you are doing that way is heaping up coals of fire. Someone said, but what's coals of fire then? Coals of fire means you are making an atonement for the sin of that person so the person or the people can obtain the mercy of God. I mean, what was the type of man Moses was? I mean, God came to Moses and told Moses, I will destroy this nation that is obedient to me. And I will raise another nation for you to show that Moses had died to self. Moses said, that's not good. I mean, if he was just ambitious, he would have said, they're going to give me another nation. I'm going to be the leader of the nation now. It's not Abraham. It's now me. He would have jumped at it. He said, no, God, that's not good. This, this will affect your reputation. They will say it's because you couldn't bring them out of the Egypt into the promised land. Let's deal with these people. And he went there for mercy. That was the heart of Moses. All right, there in what he was doing. So he says, a coal of fire will I heap on his head. Now, so what does this coal of fire mean that you are heaping on the head? It's important we explain the scriptures so people know this. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 11, where the word coals or the term coals of fire was first used in scripture. It says, and Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering. And this was what the high priest did for himself. All right, so that when he enters into the holiest of all, he will obtain mercy. It says, which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. Verse 12. And he shall take a censer full of burnt coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. These are the coals of fire. His hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. So the coals of fire were going within the veil. For what purpose? Next verse. It says, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat. So it was about obtaining mercy for his own sins and also for the sins of his entire house. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you. Many people are in warfare, but they don't have any requests. They are praying to God. 
In other words, somebody gets up and says that, well, there's one fear inside my family because there's this ailment that keeps, all right, affecting everybody in the family and it's there within the family and we believe this is spiritual, so let's go and do so. They begin to fast and say, and all of that. But they never ask God to heal everybody in the family. But they say they're in warfare, but they're not asking for anything. There's no request they're making known to God. They say, well, my business is not prospering, all of this. But they're not offering up a prayer to God for the business. They're shouting on devils, shouting on this, uh, shouting on devils, calling fire and all that. But there is, no, there is no request that they are making to God, asking God for growth multiplication. What they did there was that they prayed their own request. They said, grant unto us with all boldness, we'll speak for thy word by the stretching forth of thy hand, signs and wonders. Now, the warfare is the Father's business. We'll see this. This is our own request that we have brought to the Father. It's now the Father's business in answer to this prayer to go into battle for us and to deal, all right, with all of this. We'll see this. But they made their request known unto God. They prayed it, all right, unto God there and made it known unto him. And what was the result of this? Verse 31, after they had prayed this, all right, it says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with all boldness. And then verse 32, it tells us, in verse 32 now, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and all of that, and they had things, and verse 33, it tells us, with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what was the result of this? Chapter 5 and verse 12, the next chapter. He now starts telling us about the results. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders. So victory in warfare started coming. Many signs and wonders were wrought among the people. And they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. So what they prayed started getting manifested. Right? Signs and wonders. Now, next verse there tells us, And the rest does no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Next verse. And the believers were the more added to the Lord. Victory was coming. Multitudes both of men and women. But the Pharisees were still intact. Now what was going on was unusual growth. God giving them that's the victory. All right? So the lady here wants to get promoted. In other words, what that lady wants there is that what God will do, he'll open a massive door. The CEO calls and says, listen, I've been observing your work, and we've been looking at this and all that. We are giving you this promotion four steps above, and what happens is, then this person is still within the system, and you are four steps over and above that person. In fact, the meetings that you attend, this person doesn't even have access to those meetings. And then what happens is, this leads to something else which is more powerful, and I'll show you how this thing works. So from there, you start your own company, Within one year, you have 300 employees, right? And that's because you didn't get stuck up in hating that person. That's where Satan has got most people stuck into. The Bible says that those that oppose themselves, that God will grant them repentance to their client or the truth that they may be delivered. Many people are opposing other people and missing the point. So 300 people, and then suddenly they say, well, we need uh, some um, highly skilled management guys into this business. Let's put out the word here. And it tells, she, uh, she tells HR department, put out the word. Let's, and then people now start coming for the interview. And she's there sitting in the office looking at the security cameras. And suddenly she sees this same person that used to be her boss two years ago walking in for the interview. And then she gets up and goes out there. And after it does, and stands before him and says, how are you? Says, fine. And this man looks and says, did you also come here for an interview here? He says, no, I run the company, I own it. After I left the organization, the man 
will almost break into tears. You mean I'm coming to work for you? He will open his heart. I'm so sorry about what happened. Honestly, please forgive me. Honestly, you are really a child of God because since that time, you know, he will start confessing all kinds of things. You are really, really a child of God. Honestly, you know, I just must say this. That's an opportunity one. Nobody died there. What people want is let this man, be, his legs be broken so he doesn't come to the office. Okay, his legs are broken because he doesn't understand the blood. He's not confessing it daily. But you also also are stuck somewhere. I mean, I was reading so many people practicing the, a lady on Twitter. I just saw she said, and this is supposed to be a Christian, I mean, at least from the name. And she said, you know, somebody did something to her, a guy, and that she will go out when there's a full moon. If this is not witchcraft, what is it? And, 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 and be completely naked and then make pronouncements on the next man that comes into her life and breaks her heart. That's in anticipation. You have caused the person here. I mean, if that's not witchcraft, what is it? All right? And then somebody put on there and said, ah, Kama, you to come back. One lady was like, I beg, leave Kama. We've done Kama, Kama, Kama. The guy has gone on, married other people. He's enjoying his life. You are saying, I'll be waiting there. You know, because you are stuck on that. All right? You're stuck on that. Okay? You're stuck on that. Now, what does God want to do? God wants to open up a door. Listen to me. Why were you with that guy? The objective was not to get anybody killed. The objective was to marry and be happily married. So, even though that happened, go back to God in prayer. And I will show this and offer your prayer. Then God sends the right man into your life. And to show victory in warfare. Nobody dies. Ten years after you are married. You are with your husband in a massive house. And suddenly your husband is upset. That somebody didn't fix, who got the contract to fix something, didn't fix it properly. And he said, look, get and tells him on the phone, will you come and see me? And he says, sorry, sir. And you are hearing, sorry, sir, sorry, sir, that your husband said, sorry, sir, sorry, sir, I'll be there, sir, I'll be there, sir. Only for the bell to ring. And the sorry, sir, man, comes in 10 years after. And you look at him. What? And then he looks at you and says, is this your house? You say, yes. <laughs> he himself, we quote the scripture, the stones the builders have rejected. By himself, without any assistance, has become the chief cornerstone. This is the doing of the Lord. You said you want breakfast? He's a, say he sits down. He finishes eating. He says, in my life, I have never eaten food this sweet. Honestly, I've never eaten food this sweet. All right? Then he says, um, could I have the number? No, no, no. We don't do number again. All things have passed away. And then he leaves the house. Which one is better? Or for you to be naked under the moon. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying here? All right? So this is one of here. So let's go on here. Where we stop there. Now I want to show you this. I want to show you how this thing expands. When you pray the right prayer. All right, quickly. Let's go back. Acts chapter 4. And the believers were more added multitudes. Now verse 15. To show you that those folks didn't die. In so much that they brought sick. All right? Now it was just one man that got healed. But now they brought forth sick into the streets. And lay them on beds so the whole streets were filled. This is from one healing. Now they put beds. The whole streets were filled with beds. Couches there. It says, and the least, which means Peter began to walk. I mean, Peter had entered into the place where, because even in Jesus' ministry, we didn't have that dimension of the shadow of Jesus healing. Now his shadow was healing. He had gotten into greater works than this shall you do. All right? Manifestation of the Spirit, all right? Beyond even the earthly ministry of Jesus started showing up here. A shadow passing them and people were getting healed instantly. All right? And then the next verse here. Now all that was going on. 
And there came a multitude out of the cities round about to Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? This is victory in warfare. Not that the Pharisees and Sadducees are now dead. This is victory. There is no Pharisee that died, even though they were the greatest opposition to Jesus, no record of any person. The only person that did that committed suicide, and what happened was, when the spirit that used Judas left him, Judas came back to himself. And he was so ashamed, he said, I can't go back and face anybody. I was responsible for killing Jesus, and he killed himself. And that's when the spirit went off. And he says this, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits. And how many were healed? They were healed, every one. And then next verse there, to show that these folks were not dead, they were still around. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, with, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And they came again and laid hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison, and verse 19, but the angel of the Lord, so this was going on, opened at night the prison doors, brought them forth, and said, go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all these words of life. Verse 21, and when they had heard that, they entered into the temple and in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him called the council together again, and the senate, children of Israel, and sent to bring them out of the prison, that they might be brought from the prison. Verse 22, but when the officers came, and found them not in the prison, they returned and told them that says, the prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we opened it, there was no man there. This victory in warfare. Are you following what I'm saying here? He prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You are walking in love towards the people. God is manifesting his power. And what the spirit that came upon them wanted to stop is what you are looking at. You are now, the, God is now fulfilling that particular thing. The objective there is for your career to go up. The objective there is for you to do well in your career and maximize your potential. The objective is not for anybody to die. All right? But because of occultism that has infiltrated the consciousness of people. That's why you come to Africa, you say that all your enemies will be dead by tomorrow morning. You know they won't be dead by tomorrow morning. You have heard it before. It had not happened. You know it, but you shout, Amen! Even though you know tomorrow morning the enemies will still be there. All right? So how then do we do this as I bring this to a close? You have to understand that it is the Father that is sending angels who are in direct contact with this in warfare. Hebrews 1 and verse 13 says, Said he not to any of his angels, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So he told Jesus, sit. I, that's the Father, I is the Father, will make your enemies your footstool. Not you, I, the Father, will make your enemies your footstool. All right? So even if the people are your enemies, they says, I'll make them your footstool. In other words, what all the stories I told you, the enemy now understood that I'm underneath this person. Next scripture, Hebrews 10 and verse 13. It says this, Hebrews 10 and verse 13. It says, from henceforth, now from verse 12, we need to get this. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down, after he offered his blood, sat down at the right hand of God, Verse 13, from henceforth expecting 
Because the father said, I will make your enemies your footstool. So he's expecting that the enemies will make footstool. So it's the father that does that. It's the father, all right, that does that. So how does this happen? First of all, make up your mind. I mean, we, we had the story about Bishop, Bishop, Bishop uh, Butler when he talked about something that happened in his church. He walked in love towards that person. He didn't get into a position, let me destroy this person. He walked in love towards him. And his church went to 22,000. That's, that's what you are there for. People getting saved. Massive things. I mean, I was in his church when his daughter came up to preach, and she said, you know, you never told us who the person was. You just, you just say, tell us stories about somebody who offended you all these years. And that he took, it was when they were outdoors, the father finally told them who he was. He said, and he, you let us be playing with the, with the man's children like that? Uh, you know, she, she's a fighter. She said, eh, we, we will have, you know, he said, but, but you're a man of love. But the church grew to 22,000. So you've got to make your decision here. I know people have been wired, people have been trained to think that, you know, all the enemies, but it's witchcraft. You get, look, I mean, witches never progress. You know, witches, they're always in poverty. People that, I've been seeing witches, they're always suffering in some hole somewhere. You don't want to join them where they are. All right. You want to start against demonic forces, but not start against people. All right. So let's see this here in Daniel. Let me just show you what you do here. Daniel chapter 7, quickly, verse 8 and 9. All right, I consider the horns, and horns are powers in the spirit realm, whether good or evil. And behold, there came up another little horn before him, whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Verse 9. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancients of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. And then verse 10, a fiery stream issued out and came forth before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. So the book was opened. The judgment was given. Now, what does this mean? Look at verse 21 and 23 here. It says, I beheld the same horn made war with the saints. And prevailed against them until, next verse, the ancient of days came. So the warfare he was winning until the ancient of days. That's why it's through the Father. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. All right? So the ancient of days came and judgment was given and the saints possessed the kingdom. Now, what is this thing about Ancient of days coming, uh, all right? God inhabits the praises of his people. What's this thing? Now, when we look at Revelations 5, I'm about to bring this to a close. You'll see this here, verse 1. And I saw the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within, and on the backside it was sealed with seven seals. Verse 2. And I saw a strong, a strong angels proclaiming in heaven with a loud voice, who is worthy to open this book and to loose the seals thereof? Verse 3. And no man in heaven or the earth Neither under the earth was able to open the book because you'll be going through things and nobody can open the book. And so if the book is not open, remember in Acts 4, what did they do? The book was open. They took a psalm. They prayed that psalm. It was the prayer that they offered of that psalm that brought that revival, brought that massive thing because they prayed something that was given to them by the ancients of days in that situation to pray. 
And so this warfare is that the ancient of days will give you scriptures, you pray the scriptures, and all kinds of things are going to come out of it, signs, wonders. So he says, no man wants to open the book. They say, we are stuck. If the book can't be opened, we can't get judgment. If we can't get judgment, this horn is going to destroy us. Verse 4. And he says, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Verse 5. And one of the elders said, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is why Jesus came. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Verse 6. And lo and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into the earth. Verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four elders, four beasts, and the 24 elders knew the protocol. You want this book opened over your situation here? They fell down before the lamb. And this is what we're supposed to do. Having every one of them harps, golden vials, full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9, And they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. For you have redeemed us, every kindred tongue, every nation. Verse 10, You have made us kings and priests. That's how we reign on the earth, from an open book. Verse 11, And beheld, I heard a voice of many angels about the throne, Beasts and elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands, which means what David also saw, um, Daniel saw. In other words, that's when the ancient of days came, until the ancient of days came. So as you begin to worship Jesus and the Lamb of God that was slain, who has prevailed, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and has optioned up the book, and you are worshiping him, doing that opens up scriptures unto you. Now this is important because the scriptures now tell you Pray this. Title deeds are coming. Pray this. When you pray that, that little thing will, will trigger something. Look at the way it went in the ministry of the apostles. It triggered a massive revival. That thing will trigger, which means that boss saying you are not going to get promoted will trigger a company being formed in 10 years' time, will trigger many things happening. But you have to pray what is written. And, and the church of Jesus ought to be the, a prophetic church. What is a prophetic church? Everything that goes on should be interpreted in the light of the written word of God. The understanding is there is nothing that happens in your life that God has not documented in scripture. So when you have an interpretation, you can say this thing that I'm going through is what is written in the book of Psalms chapter 54. Then you see it. And then what happens is you saw that psalm and suddenly it comes up and you say, well, I will now pray what is promised in this psalm here and I will see. Because where they pray there, God said, ask of me and I shall give thee the hidden for thy inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for the possession. That scripture they were quoting. So they knew what to pray. That this thing is going to bring massive expansion here to this work. So you know what to pray. You pray that particular scripture there. Once you pray that scripture there, bam! And the father shows up and says, now, you start saying all kinds of things. All right? I'm just going to tell you this. I'll just quote two, three prayers that Paul prayed. So, looking at a situation, interpreting it right. And the only way you can do that is you are worshiping and the Holy Spirit shows you what is inside the scripture concerning it. Kenneth Hagin, when he was alive, said, he had an uncle. He prayed for this man, conservatively, let me just say 10 years, but I think it was much more than that. Fasted for this man to get saved. He said this man didn't yield. He said one day he went to God. Why have I prayed so much for this man? He's getting old. He might soon be gone. And this man is not getting saved. 
We said God opened his eyes to see a scripture. First of all, now the books are now getting opened over the man's life and situation. Because you are just doing what you think is right. But once the books start getting open, and God says, a prophet doesn't have honor in his country among his people. He still sees you as his young nephew. So he's not going to respond to your words. So next scripture that opened up to him was, did I not say, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers into the harvest. He said, now, so what you should do is get on your knees and pray that I should send somebody to him that will, all right, lead him to me. That they are laborers. There's somebody there and he prayed. Three days after the prayer, this man was saved. Why? The books were opened first. In other words, you have an interpretation of what is happening. So let me give two examples here. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Jesus saw people and he interpreted it right. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted. They, they were tired. And they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You know, Jesus looked at them and said, they are fainted, they are scattered abroad. The problem is that they don't have any shepherd. So what's the prayer point here? The prayer point, therefore, is God give them shepherds. That's what he will pray. In order to solve their problem, it just means that pray, as for shepherds. So where do you get that prayer from? Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 3 and 4, and you'll see it. And that's why Jesus said they are sheep without shepherd. He knew the scripture, what was going on there. Jeremiah 23, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries from whither I have driven them and, and will bring them again to their folds. See this? That they shall be fruitful and increase. Those folds. Next verse. And I will set up shepherds over them that will feed them and they shall not fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. So that person, instead of just praying, God help this person, give him a job, help this person just says, Lord, I'm asking you, Send a shepherd into his life. Send somebody into his life. Somebody you've raised and called for this purpose, send into his life. Send into his life and place him in that company there, all right, that he will experience. And he prays that it happens, all right? So Satan is trying to do something. The book is opened up. God shows you what to pray in that situation. You pray it. Last verse here. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, what was the horn doing to wear out the saints? And, and what was he doing there? And he shall speak great words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High. Get them tired. And think to change time's laws. And it shall be given into his hand until the time of times and dividing of time. Verse 26. But judgment shall sit and he shall take away his dominion. So what the enemy is doing is wear them out. Because when they are fainting and they are tired, they will make wrong decisions. Esau lost his birthright that way. When people are tired, and many people are, are tired, all right, that's why you have people exploding out on, on social media and saying this about Christianity, saying that people who are real Christians in the past, they got, and a horn was coming constantly on them in their lives. And, and now what do you pray to deal with that? That's what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 and verse 16. He knew that, look, these people are coming against something in the realm of the spirit that might be, he says, that God will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man. Colossians, he prayed the same thing, to be strengthened. He says, fill you the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you walk worthy of him unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing the knowledge of him, and being strengthened with all might unto patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. That's what he prayed. Because he knew. 
Why was he praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened? He knew that what Satan would do is to prevent them from seeing what is inside the book concerning it. He says, so I'm praying that you, he will give you that your eyes will be open, you will see what is inside the book. That's why Colossians, he prayed that you fill with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You will see what is there. So Paul had the prayer. And, and so prayer is not just, well, we just get up in warfare here. And, you know, we just start shouting. And, you know, we start battling with the devil. And all you principalities, like you're in a wrestling match. And people even get to the point where they're even, you know, as they're praying. You know, they're, you know I won't agree. I won't agree. You know, and all of that. That's not the way it works. All right. I mean, one time, I, I don't let me, it's, I should end this summer. Let, don't let's start cracking jokes here. But, you know, go somewhere and someone said, the devil is out there. All right, bring out your swords. And people took out their sword. Now, let's begin to call the devil and cut him. Cut him. And everybody starts cutting. Okay? We'll go back with the same problem. Are you following me? Same problem. All right? So the issue is spend time worshiping God, get what he has said out of her, walk in love towards people. This is I do not agree with this predominant thought that is in Africa, particularly in this country. It is not right. This thing is not Bible. There is nowhere in the New Testament that thing is stated there. That people are calling on people to die and people, it is not inside the Bible. All right? And what that means is if anybody offends you or robs you wrongly, they, so what this means is if people are doing you well, you support them. If they are against you, then you wish them dead. And the scripture says, if you do good to them that do good to you, what thank have you? Sinners do what? They say, that's the level of a sinner. Which means it's iniquity. That is, of course, it appeals to people. It has mass appeal. Because people have this, but well, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anything. All right? That's why in the Western world, people that are prospering, is it that they are devil, the, the people are dying? Nobody's dying anywhere now. It's that their minds are being opened up. And you are overcoming things. You are overcoming things. So pray your desires. In other words, in spiritual warfare, you should be consumed with the throne. You should be consumed with the lamb that was slain. You should be consumed with the sacrifice of Jesus. You should be consumed with the word. You shouldn't be consumed with what the Pharisees said they would do to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And by the power of your spirit, I ask you establish us in this truth. Expand it within our consciousness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818 600 0082. God bless you.